Welcome to the Prime Talk with your hosts, Dan and James. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, internet, members of the Grog Empire, welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James. I'm Dan. And uh, um, where are we from today, Dan? Well, unfortunately, we're still in the abyss. But, Uh-oh. But, but the good news is we're, we're getting deeper. That's a good we thing. Are. That's a good thing, right? Yes, we has, are. Has, has the abyss flattened out yet? I'm waiting for the, the abyss <laughs> curve to flatten. But uh, we're, we're, in the, we're in the grand abyss, the fourth layer. And right. James, I'm, I'm here to tell you there's hope. Oh, there's hope. Th- there's hope. There's hope. This is also known as as the blood rift. Now that that would not suggest hope. No, obviously. that sounds horrible. But it does, and it's a bottomless chasm. That doesn't sound promising either. No, that doesn't. That doesn't sound good at well. Go ahead. But what I've been told by the internets is that this reaches almost every single layer of the abyss via portals or gates. And the good news is this layer itself had no ruler, which is weird. Isn't the abyss chaotic anyway? Right. Well, they still have rulers. See, they're hypocrites, aren't they? <laughs> aren't well, they? Sur- survival of the fittest kind of thing. <laughs> oh, they rule because they're the most powerful. Well, isn't so? What you're saying is, if you're lawful, you're pro democracy. Um, as long as people think it's democracy, they really don't care. As long as it, as long as it keeps order, that's her- what they care about. Or hereditary, because that would be not just the strongest. That's. So, yeah, so there's hope, I think, because it sounds like there's ways out. Oh, I see. So that's, that's what you're getting out of this. Even though we're in the blood rift, we're in, what was the other thing you called this place? Uh, this is the Grand Abyss. The Grand Abyss, right? So this is like the Grand Hyatt of the abyssal areas. <laughs> you know. or, or like I think you said before we came on the air, a Grand Central Station. This grand, the, yeah, all, the Grand Central Station to all of the demonic uh, things. Yeah, and I guess that is I guess that is a problem because I guess there's a I've got a there's a flaw in my plan. It only reaches every other single layer of the abyss. I, right. I guess I was reading that as a way as a way out of this uh, layer. Right. But but not apparently not a way out of the abyss. So we want to get back to the first layer. That's that's the thing. Mm. So uh, are mm-hmm. we are we dis- continuing to descend? And unfortunately, I'm sure it's not like labeled properly. You know, this is abyss, go to layer one of the abyss, uh, level two, level three. It's more probably labeled, mislabeled. Well, and you know what the problem is? There's always so much construction, and I'm always <laughs> missing my portal. And I'm like, oh, man, and now I'm, like, off to, like, that's right. some random, I have no idea where I'm at. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's the other issue, too, is you never, you, you always miss the exit. And now, I, I guess we should be fortunate that we're on the fourth layer, but... You know, with only 662 left, hopefully this uh, contagion slash pandemic will uh, come to some resolution before we get down to the final layer. We can uh, get back together again. So we have got an interesting show today. Um, we've got some uh, we've got some guests. We have hey, hello everyone. So our the uh, the folks out in Asia are representing very well today. So we have. Uh, our Chamberlain from Australia, uh, Menyon is on, uh, Bill from New Jersey, hello, sir, and uh, 
uh, method is on uh, as well. Good morning to all, good afternoon, good evening. So we've got, uh, let's go over our announcements. Again, we're still tracking to do GrogCon at October uh, 9th through the 11th uh, here at the Days uh, Hotel by Wyndham in the Orlando area, October 9th through 11th. If you can come, that would be great. and, and again, because we may be the only convention available, and uh, we will comply with the maximum uh, people allowed in a setting, that should not be a problem for us, right? We, yes, it's, it's, that, that, yes, no problem at all. This is why we are really probably the only convention that can go forward is we're the only one that is projecting fewer than 20 attendees. <laughs> and the good news is, my understanding, James, is if the hotel has gone out of business, you'll be hosting. Is that right? Yeah, I guess so. That's right. It will be at my house. It will be GrogCon in, in the palatial estate. Yeah. So sure. Why not? That'd be great. That's, that's awesome. Why, why not? Who am I to not host it? Uh, well, I've, I, you, you, you don't think they would let us into the hotel? That's terrible. No, I, no, this is assuming the hotel is still in business. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, our, our land is taking quite sense. a hit, right, yes, because of yeah. all the uh, tourism. and uh, Right. Yeah, it's basically we're all going to be bankrupt soon. So uh, after the pandemic, then we'll be unemployed. But we'll worry about that later. Um, I also want to congratulate uh, Brian and Josh for Grognard's Online Guild, our Grognard's Guild Online that we're doing. They're doing it every week. Uh, so if you are hunkering for gaming because you can't play online, go to our meetup. Uh, uh, Brian is doing Protect, uh, Defenders of the Realm, his campaign, and Josh is doing uh, Temple of Elemental Evil right now. So, If you're hankering because you're hunkering. Yes, if you're hankering, if you're hunkering down and you're hankering for <laughs> adventure, that is something you could do right now. So um, they've, uh, and in fact, I'm going to try to be a guest NPC uh, for Brian's game next week, next Friday. So that's something you're interested in. Feel free to come by. I also want to congratulate our dear friend Vic Dorso, and that's my cool guy fingers. I just pointed at him for his successful Kickstarter. Keep it Blood Red Falls made made its goal. We were a backer. Um, a lot of people other did. Uh, um, so again, congratulations to him, and I'm looking forward to seeing the final product. So I, I've never been part of a Kickstarter before. Well, you it, have been now. Yes, and, and is it my understanding that at this point in time is when we now get to start saying routinely, where's my damn stuff? Right. In fact, okay. I, I started that the second it was over. <laughs> right. Okay, I just I don't know the etiquette or, or what or the process, but that's yeah. I've gotten sort of that sense that that's what you start doing now. Exactly. Every three seconds. In fact, I'll be going on Twitter, and you know, hopefully, he'll be doing our hex crawl next week. Uh, we can ask him, "Hey, where's our stuff now? I want right. our stuff." Right. Is this uh, a scam? <laughs> right. Because if I see pictures of him on Twitter with like you know rolls of money just laying around, uh, I'm going to be pissed. You're right. That's the that's I'm the. De- uh, I've decided I'm never. I would never do a Kickstarter because it seems to me that half the Kickstarters the people end up like you know being accused of taking money and right. never yes the years later nothing happens well, well the kickstarter is probably not as bad as the GoFundMes, which is you know mm. where you know like you, if you were to say you know you only have two years to live like we like we know because of the dice and right. you need money and then right. you know 10 years later you're still going on that would be a little awkward 
So what you're saying is I need to make sure I do, in fact, die in two years. <laughs> just off yourself if you have to. So. If I have to. <laughs> just to keep my, those people who supported me feeling okay. Exactly. Right. Because the dice don't lie. The dice do not lie. So uh, I'm sure that will also be available to people. So we're looking forward. And hopefully we will be able to give away to one of our patrons a Keep at Bloodbird Falls, either signed and hopefully signed by uh, Victor. So that would be super cool. In blood. Yeah, well, of course in blood. Uh, so again, again, thanks to our patrons. Uh, we do this, uh, a lot of this we do because of your support. So we thank you for that. We know times are tough for a lot of folks, so appreciate everyone's help. Um, no heraldry today. So if you want to uh, uh, be part of the Grog Empire, just uh, become a patron uh, at any level, and you will be... Uh, I've stepped up my game on the... Uh, I think you like your uh, heraldry. Very much so. Thank yes. you very much. Yeah, yeah, I loved the name and I loved the crest. Absolutely. Yep, so we're having a lot of fun with that. Um, and if you like what we're doing and you listen on our podcast, please uh, put a, if you listen via iTunes, uh, feel free to put a comment, good or bad. Those are fun to watch and we'd like to see that. So, Dan, why don't you introduce our guests? Sure. So, it is our pleasure to have. Uh, Jim Dees and David Spate of North Pole, formerly of North Pole Publications out of Alabama. Jim is the one wearing uh, the black hat, so that's how you'd be able to recognize him. And uh, they are responsible for two publications that I'm very fond of. Uh, the first one I learned about was the Tome of Mighty Magic, and then they also published Adventure. It was a company back in the early 80s that maybe you never heard about, but now with the internet, people can learn about it, and we thought we would have them on to talk about North Pole Publication. So welcome, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. And it is, a, it is morning for you, Jim, right? Because you're in California time. I got a big mug of coffee. Excellent, excellent. So, um, all right, well, maybe you guys, so uh, take us back to... Uh, I guess, what, around 1980 or so? Tell us how, you know, maybe Jim, we'll start with you. Um, had, had, had you guys started playing D&D separately and then met, or did D&D bring you guys together? Yeah, we uh, we started separate. I think when I met Dave, I was actually still in high school. Well, I know I was still in high school, and I had taken a few college classes between my junior and senior year in high school. And uh, so... Dave was already in college, and I met him and the others then and started going to the gaming groups at the college. And uh, we had one Dungeons & Dragons campaign that became a real regular group, and uh, we got pretty serious about it. And some of us had the idea of writing a book. And, and what year would we be talking, roughly? Probably 81. Okay. Okay. And, 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 and David, do you remember that? So do you, you remember meeting yes. Jim? Yes. We started the company in 1981. I had gotten out of college and was starting a job. In fact, the, since I started the job in June and I was being taxed at the rate for a full year, I had a big tax refund and I used that to help start the company. And, and, and when did you start playing D&D, David? Back in 1978. I was at Auburn University at the time. I got into it rather a unique way. 
there was a computer club that was started, and they wanted to do a club project. Someone came up with the idea to write a program for D&D. Well, none of us had heard of D&D except that person, so we went and investigated. The DM I ran under was J.D. Webster. If that name doesn't ring a bell, he did the cartoon Phineas Fingers in the Dragon magazine. Oh, wow. Wow. Interesting. Awesome. I've forgotten that. And so, and do you remember, were you playing, was it first edition? Was it the basic set? Do you remember, David? Well, under J.D. Webster, it was the original three small books. But at the University of South Alabama, it was AD&D, which they now call D&D 1. Okay. And so, so you, were at, you were at Auburn. You're in this club. And then you get this. You get this money. You get the tax refund. So, so, so the idea to start a company. It sounds like that. That was your idea. I'm not sure if it was Doug Bowman's or Mike Poydu's, but at that time I switched over to the University of South Alabama to finish. This offer did not have a computer science degree at the time. Okay, and then that's where you meet Jim, right? Because right. yeah. he's taking classes. Yeah, okay. Alabama, the University of South Alabama. Okay, so um, you, you decided to start a company. What were you thinking? <laughs> well, there were things lacking in D&D. Like there was one spell I came up with, Detect Shoals and Reef. If you're doing a sea campaign, you really need some of these utility spells. Okay, so, so it was basically to, to provide additional spells and things that, that to fill in gaps that you guys saw yeah. in the game. Okay. Now, Jim, obviously, you, you played a tremendous role. This, at least that's a sense I get. I mean, we'll find out. But so tell me about when, when, when did you hear about that the company was starting and, 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 and was it something that interested you? Yeah, I think it, well, I think we all came into it at about the same time. I don't remember whose idea it was first. Like Dave, I think it might have been Doug's. Doug was always the business mind, so the idea of making it a company was probably him. Um, for the rest of us, I think that core group were all involved in that one campaign. Mike Poyadu was the dungeon master for it, and David David was uh, um, Ida the the druid, and I was going to my. Uh, Dark Edge Lord High School phase as Eridor, the, the evil high priest. And uh, Doug Bowman was Aluap the wizard. And uh, so it all sort of sprang from that. I think for me, it was uh, it was a combination of just being a big time gamer geek because I was headed. I was in deep at the time. And then uh, and then the artistic expression of it. You know, the the chance to be a creator that everybody that gets into the gaming does at some point. Okay, and, and the first publication, right, is, and that's how I discovered you guys, is uh, uh, the Tome of Mighty Magic, right? a, a, co- a collection of spells. And I don't know if you've looked up, shall we, shall we go on the Internet and see how much this thing will cost me? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, the Tome of Mighty Magic... Uh, shopping. Let me see. I think I looked last night, and I think it was running around. I want to say seventy-five dollars. Wow. Yeah, or something like I, that. I think I still have shares, but I haven't gotten a dividend check in a few years. 
<laughs> that, that, that's true. Well, maybe that's why I didn't get a response from uh, Doug Goldman. Yeah, he was your, he was your businessman, right? right? He's been he's been raking in the money all these years. Um, we got well, what finally did us what did us in, as I recall back then, was you know you had all these little small companies that are struggling to survive, and we sold a lot of books to distributors and shops that never paid us for them. Is that true? Yeah. And I don't think it was uh, you know, anything malicious. I think it was just when they had, um, when the bills came due and they had a choice between paying us or paying TSR, you know, they, they couldn't afford TSR, so. Okay, well, that's, uh, that, that's unfortunate. Um, and uh, it's, I just, I looked up on Amazon. It's currently unavailable on Amazon. <laughs> So uh, you, you can't find it. And uh, let me see. And I think that I had saw, I think there was one. Hang on. Yeah, here it is. Noble Knight Games. Yeah, $75. One is available. That's for $75. So, so, so tell us a little. I'm going to read the introduction to the Tome of Mighty Magic. And I came across this on a website. Somebody was talking it up. Um, I love new spells. And we'll talk about the spells in there, which I think are fantastic. Uh, but, uh, so it says at the, in the foreword, uh, I'm sorry, in the preface, it says that, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, introduction. So I'm sorry, you have a foreword, a preface, and introduction. In a hidden land on a distant plain dwelt three lords of incredible power. The wizard Alua, an evil archmage, mastered the magics known to mortal men. He worshipped death and kept his quota gleefully. Lord Eridor was a high priest of Set, an archbishop of the mountain fortress Agorambar. He led an holy war to conquer the land for Set. The third lord was Ida, an unusual elf of many talents. Uh, and so I'm assuming that this is describing characters in your gang, correct? Yep. Okay. That was the three Okay, and were all these spells, what, what was amazing to me, so this is a book of spells, tons of spells in here. And what was amazing to me was the number of contributors that you had. I mean, if you look in the index and it lists who contributed the spells, it's an enormous number of people. So maybe the two of you can talk about how many people, which is what surprised me, because you know, we had Kelly Villamir, who did a First Encounter magazine in Canada in the early 80s, and it basically was, I think, primarily Kelly. There were some others, but not many. North Pole seemed to be very different. There seemed to be a large group of people involved with this company, correct? Yes. Yeah, especially that first book, because we just we brainstormed ideas for spells ourselves, but we invited everybody in the club to contribute ideas. And I forget what we did to compensate them, whether <laughs> we gave them credit and we gave them copies and we might have given them, like, um, I think we got together at some point and divvied up common shares of stock for the company based on how many of their ideas got used in the publication and how much, you know, how many hours they put into coming to the meetings where we, we sort of group edited the entire book. We all sat around as a group and discussed each spell and what changes we needed to make to it. Had these spells been used in, it sounds like a lot of these spells have been used in your campaigns, correct? Yep, some of them, a lot, a lot of them. I think a lot of them we brainstormed for the book, hoping we'd get to use them in the campaign. Yeah, I think <laughs> uh, that was, was hoping to. Yeah. 
Okay, so so what I, what I love about uh, what I love about it is it's it's got a real sense of whimsy. So so number one, I think it's got spells that I think you really want to have. Like you call them utility spells. I think one of the ones I really liked was Map It. Right? You remember mm -hmm. Map It? Not really. I'd have to look it up again. <laughs> oh, oh, by, well, oh uh, so gentlemen, I'm sure you didn't realize this when you were coming on that. Dan will be quoting from your book uh, specific sentences and ask you what you were thinking at the time in early 1980s. So please be prepared. Um, yeah. I'm, what was your mens rea when you were creating the Mappet spell? What? What? Yeah. And why? Why? Why did you have a material component for Mappet, and what was it? No. Pencil <laughs> no, and paper, right? There you go. It's graph paper. See, that's that's why you're you. Good job. That's, that's the wit. Yeah, map it is. It allows the spellcaster to travel at normal speed through a dungeon without being forced to slow down to map. A map of the area the caster is walking through appears upon a specially prepared scroll in the caster's possession. This covers all that the caster sees, including illusions. Oh, look, actually does. No, it gives us your material component. I love it. This one is actually listed. Um, I don't know if they all do. Um, it is a fine vellum scroll. And so how much is I, a fine vellum scroll? scroll? Now. Well, I, guess, I guess I do have that spell now. It's my GPS watch. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, this is like the anti-Gygax, right? Because Gygax was always like, you know, in the DMG, explaining how you shouldn't be overusing the spells. He was always bringing the players down, it seems like. This is, you're like bringing them up. This is like the anti, right? This is, you know, this is like, you know, Gary had identified that you needed, which was terrible. This is going to give you things that are, that are very helpful. Uh, as well. So, um, do you remember any spells in particular that, that you particularly enjoyed? Mm -hmm. I think um, for me, I was exploring being an evil high priest. So, um, a lot of my spells were about how to create the evil armies I saw in the movies. You know, <laughs> okay. Uh, how, do you, how do you make the evil forest? How do you, uh, how do you, a bunch of people in the dark religious fanatics. So I don't know. That's kind of where my part of where my head was at at the time. Well, and I really like the. Dave had the idea for Mappet. I just looked it up. So he had the very pragmatic. Who's Mappet? Oh, that's you, David. You were you were Mappet. Yeah. Now, my inspiration for that was in another campaign. My elf was asked to map a dungeon. Well, the party didn't want to do it. What does an elf do for mapping a dungeon? I made notes of all the plant life in the dungeon. None of the other things they were interested in. Awesome. That's great. <laughs> Being chaotic. That? Me? Really? Come on, folks. <laughs> that, that'll you're you're always going to be chaotic. You're never asked to map again. All right, James. Exactly. I, th I think the time has come. We have a segment on this show called Spell Selection. And I think it is time for a special edition of Spell Selection, the Tome of Mighty Magic. Oh, yes, absolutely. All right, James, I need you to, because look, they don't mess around with levels. There's 20 levels of spells here. So, James, uh, I need you to roll me a die 20. Okay, rolling a die 20. 11. 11. I now, and, and the nice thing about this is, you'll be happy to know, gentlemen, that whoever had this actually seemed to have used it because they've written in it. And they've given me the numbers uh, of spells. All right, James, I need you to roll a 21-sided die. 21-sided die? 
Yes. Uh, What's the problem? Uh, yeah. So. It's not yeah. It's yeah. I guess I could do it that way. So it's uh, eighty four hundred and five. Yeah. It's uh, round the thing. I'm rolling d twenty. So, so sorry. Uh, a twenty. So I'm gonna roll a twenty. Okay. And then let's see. Yeah, twenty. Yep. That's what I got. Stat swap. Ooh, stat swap. This sounds like fun, doesn't it? Better All than right. s- s- some other. First, let's see who wrote stat swap, if it was any of our. I'm going to guess Doug wrote that one. All right, so it's a trade. All right. James is picking, Jim is picking Doug. Uh, Dave, who would you guess would do stat swap? Mike Boyd The answer is Doug Bowman. All right. Stat swap. Using this spell, two minds can link, and they may exchange attribute points. For example, the wizard Alawap may link minds with the Amazon Tibera, giving her two points of strength in exchange for two points of IQ. This may be done only once between any two minds. Bed rest for one month is needed afterwards. Mm. So, so those are the kind of spells uh, I, I particularly like. I mean, who doesn't like, and I don't think either one of you did this, who wouldn't like... Remember that spell? Oh, the helmet spell. That's right. Yes, you enlarge your opponent's helmet <laughs> so they can't see. Um, I also like very much the spell. I've used these spells in my campaign. They're a lot of fun, I think, to sprinkle in. Um, I really like the spell uh, People. Uh, if you may remember the spell People, which is a third-level spell, which was done by... Another another Doug one. I don't know why he uh, dodged my email. Uh, when cast, <laughs> uh, you know, it was a strange request. You know, you're like doing financial work and you get a strange email to be on the Grog Talk podcast. Uh, not everyone is as receptive as you gentlemen. When cast, a little a peephole goes through the door. So this is very useful, right? So instead of listening at the door, you can actually see through it. Um, so tell me about, so tell me about, um, when you came out with the Tome of Mighty Magic, what was the plan for the company? Because the sense I get from reading the material is you guys, had, it seemed like you had a sense that you were in this for the long haul. Right? Yeah, I think we had the idea that we were going to, that it was just going to grow and we were going to write more and more stuff. And and uh, I don't know, I was a senior in high school that year when we were doing all this. So how did I know what I, what life was going to be about? Yeah. Dave, same same thing? Yeah. Like I say, you know, I just wanted to game, and I wanted to make gaming a little more fun and interesting. Yeah, okay. And so so how did it, so so how did you go about, so you create this company, how did you go about distributing and selling? I mean, what do you do? I mean, for people like, you know, it never would have crossed my mind, in all honesty, to do what you guys were doing. I mean, I I think it's very impressive that you even thought about doing, but not only did you think about doing it, you actually, you did it. And, and, and these, these truly, I mean, these are quality products. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I'm just saying it because you're guests on the show. You know, there's a lot, there was a lot of stuff being put out there, which, which didn't have very high quality. I mean, I think everybody knows that say some of, some of the judges guild stuff was not great quality. It looked like at times stuff was being churned out. Um, but this is a tremendous amount of work. The spells are a lot of fun. Uh, they're very, they're very useful. Many of them are very entertaining. Uh, it's a quality product. Um, 
how did you how did you go about finding you know sending these to distributors? If you just talk a little bit about the business side of it. Okay, Doug Bowman was the one who handled most of the business. He did a lot of talking with Lou Zaki of Game Science Inc. in Gulfport, Biloxi, Mississippi. And he got a lot of advice from him. He was very helpful to us. Yeah, and Lou Zaki was um, only about an hour away. And his uh, game shop, his retail shop, was one we went to to find games we couldn't find anywhere else. And uh, so that, that made a big difference. Because back then... The distributors were, were big in the gaming industry because they could find all these little independent people trying to create this stuff and channel it toward the little hobby shops that retailed it. And I don't know how the gaming industry back then ever would have got off the ground without people like Luzaki to connect the people making the stuff with the people who were selling it. Yeah, I see that. And is that was that Kobe's Corner in Pensacola? No, no, Kobe's the, Corner was... Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. That was a different one. Kobe's Corner was by the Naval Air Station. The one we went to was over by Keesler Air Force Base. I used to get a lot of dice there. And once I got a really good deal on some small six-sided dice, for a low price, I forget it was, I got 1,000 six-sided dice. Wow. Well, we've always said there's two kinds of gamers, those that have one set and those who come with an enormous amount. So, The way I explain well, it is dragons hoard gold, I hoard dice. I don't know how many thousands of dice I have. You still have that and many dice. Hockey, oh, yes. Hockey made the best dice. Yeah, game science dice were a thing back then. Um, Zaki had gotten some sort of plastic formula while he was in the military, if I remember right. And... Um, so he used to have ads that showed how his dice were better quality than anybody else's. And um, I actually, I worked for Luzaki for a little while, you know, for like one summer. And HP, Hewlett Packard, would order his dice to test their random number generators. Oh, huh. Okay. His dice were made from the same material as the windscreens on airplanes. And the thing I liked the most was because Jimmy and Doug worked there, I could go in the back, and they had this big barrel of dice when they were switching from one color plastic to another that were mixed, and I prized those most of all. Hmm. All those world color dice. Yes. So how, how, how did it sell? So how, how were you doing in terms of sales of the Tome of Mighty Magic at the time? Because it comes out, what, in, in 1982, I believe, uh, in April 1982 was the first printing. And I noticed here that there was a revised edition printed in June of 82, and actually a third printing, which obviously I would have in my hands here, uh, in November of 1983. So it sounds like it was you may not maybe you weren't getting paid, but it sounds like somebody was somebody was getting money uh, for selling these. Yeah, but uh, you know, I guess it was a good marketing choice to do uh, spellbook because that's something a lot of gamers could find a way to use, right? Even if uh, there's something in there for everybody. So it sold pretty well. And I did. I remember that it did well enough to do three printings. How, how many were in one printing? Uh, how, how much was in a run? Do you know? I think each run got bigger than the last, but maybe the first one was, what, like 500 and then 1,000 and then 2,000, something like that. Okay. 
I think it may have been more than that. I remember it was many boxes filled with them. Awesome. Right. Um, and, and can you talk a little bit about the artwork? Because I thought the artwork was, was really nice. I really like a lot of the artwork that is in there. And I will show some pictures uh, while you talk about it so people can see. Uh, was it all one artist on the, the, the tome, Dave? Yeah, Frank, Frank Scalfano, who is now a surgeon. Oh, no kidding. Okay, yeah. yes, it says Frank Paul Scalfano, Jr. And uh, there's a lot of them. Um, they're just very cool illustrations. Um, what is Now, the one thing that, oh, and I like this, too. Hang on. Who did? I liked the, uh, I think it may have been uh, one of you gentlemen, which is why I, I wanted to mention it. The, um, yeah, David, you did. Do you remember this spell? What's the name? I can't read the screen very well. It's, it's, it's a boat in a bottle. Uh, yeah, I tended to do a lot of things that were nature and exploring oriented. Yeah, you could put a boat. So, yeah, you can. You, the spell it's, it'll cause a ship and all creatures on board to be shrunk and sealed in a bottle. <laughs> so, so, so those are the kinds of. Oh, and look, and who doesn't like who wouldn't want tsunami? <laughs> so, Highland doesn't. <laughs> they see. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, it's all fictional here, right? So, yeah, look at some great you. artwork. Claw. Yeah, I, I love that illustration. I remember that. Yeah, Claw was, was particularly good. Um, so um, how did you find your artist? Was he one of your well, friends? Was, yeah, he was one of the gamers. Yeah, he was in the, in the gaming club. At the, he wasn't in that uh, particular campaign that Dave and Doug and I were in, but he was a uh, regular at the uh, gaming club at the university. Okay, okay. Uh, and so tell me, so then you also did an adventure module, right? The Serpent that was Island. Our right, your second publication in 1983. And uh, so the concept was the two of you uh, was the concept, and the design and development was, uh, was Jim. And uh, let me tell you, this is, this is a quality. What was your profit margin on this? Because you've got a sturdy cover, you've got a really nice map in there. It is. The paper is really good quality. You've got tons of wonderful illustrations. I mean, this is not your tip, in my opinion, this is not what you'd expect from your typical kind of third-party publisher. Um, so could you talk a little bit about the decision to publish an, an adventure, to move from spells to publishing an adventure, and talk a little bit about uh, the Serpent Islands? Well, it was... Um... I would have been, what, maybe 19 to 20, and um, a lot of that one became my project, and it was it was like the ideal fantasy supplement that a 19, 20-year-old could think of to make. And then, of course, a lot of the other things, like finding the different uh, artists and stuff, and uh, a lot of the editing and, and stuff was still done by everybody else. Yeah, because you had more artists here. So the cover art was Boris Vallejo. And you had interior art by Niels Erickson, James Prestwood, and then again, uh, Frank Scalfano. Uh, so uh, it looks like you're bringing in more uh, members to do the artwork. And, and the amount of playtesters you had 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 20, around 25 play testers. So you obviously, you have a large group of players that you can play test this with. Yeah, well, I think I just tried to run it for as many people as I could find to, uh, to try and catch things. I did read it again recently. I sort of skimmed through it. And one thing that strikes me now was just, um, boy, depending on how the dungeon master decided to interpret some of the stuff, there's a lot of, a lot of ways for uh, groups to really just get stuck. And I guess, you know, if the game master is reasonably intelligent and, and uh, you know, is trying to have a good gaming session, that would all work out. But there's, there are times in there when I must have thrown out some breadcrumbs that I didn't explicitly write into the text. <laughs> well, it, it can be quite deadly at times, so I, I, I've read through it as well. I mean, what, what I really like about this adventure, and, and truly, this adventure, this, this, this is a quality adventure. I mean, you put out a really good adventure, and, and what I really like about it is that, number one, I mean, you're going to do some things that others were doing too, but all combined, uh, it makes it a really quality product. You have, what I like is that you have new monsters, a lot of new monsters. And, and, and that's nice because then you're going to have players who aren't familiar with the monsters. They can't metagame. Um, you've got new spells, all right? And I can't remember if all those spells were in the Tome of Mighty Magic. But you've got, you've got new spells, which is really nice. You also, what I really liked about the adventure is that you really try to have it make sense. So you explain how everything is working, who's the different play, the different NPCs, what their angle is. I like how you describe how if this happens, then, you know, other people are going to be alerted. You really seem to try to take a real effort to, to explain this place as sort of a living, breathing place, a dynamic place. This certainly didn't strike me as you just go to room one and there's this, you go to room two and there's this. You really seem to work hard to try to make it all come together. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say it was a very earnest attempt, you know, like I said, by a 19, 20 year old to, uh, to create what I thought was like the dream dungeon, what the way I wish other companies were writing it. Yeah, it was and, and a limited time in the life experience at the time, but I threw everything I had into it. Well, it's very impressive because you know, for example, the random encounters. You didn't simply just write, "Okay, here's a list of the monsters you might encounter." What you also included was an explanation of why you might encounter those monsters there, so that if you encounter three whatever, they're probably out doing this. So once again, everything sort of had a reason, right? It was, it was sort of making sense. And what I also liked was right at the beginning, you have a list of everybody that is in the fortress in case sort of the alarm is sounded. And you can kind of keep track of attrition for the baddies, which I really like because I've had to do that on my own for adventures where you've got to go through it, figure out all the baddies, who they've got, so you can keep track of it. You sort of understood at the outset that DMs are going to need that information um, if, you know, because there's going to be, you know, attrition. And so I, th I thought that was, was very impressive. Um, it, 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 it looks like it's made very easy for the DM to run this thing. Um, 
So maybe you could talk a little bit about the um, your influence. I think when we first uh, talked, you'd mentioned that you were influenced, I believe, by the island of Dr. Moreau. That, that was kind of the idea of the, the dungeon, was like taking uh, the island of Dr. Moreau and putting it in a Dungeons and Dragons setting. And so it was all about um, crossbreeding and uh, some evil god that, um, that was about perverting nature. And so there was a, there was a strong sense of nature in the, uh, in the monsters, but it was all twisted and wrong somehow. Yeah, and I do like that spell. I think that was a spell that you came up with, the crossbreed spell. Hmm. What's, what, what, what's not to like? Um, so, so, so um, David, do you remember going through, do you remember going through and working on uh, and, and, and helping Jim out with the Serpent Islands? Well, it's more from a technical aspect. Because I've been gaming more years than he has, especially with my roots with junior, senior high with the Avalon Hill game. Okay, okay. So tell me about, so um, Serpent Island, so, so tell so how did that fare then? So you come out with that. This is 1983. I think you've done another printing of the Tome of Mighty Magic, we know is November 1983. So 1983, um, how is it selling? How are things looking at the company? Well, thanks for looking up at that point in time. You know, we we're selling more and more of our items. The problem was coming up with more ideas that could sell. And I know you um, think... Oh, go ahead, Jim. Well, I was going to say, there were, there were some other bottlenecks. The, the dungeon, it just wasn't as big a market as the spellbook. So, there, you know, everybody... The spellbook was a better seller than the, the dungeon was. The dungeon did okay, but, you know, didn't take off. We didn't do three printings of the Serpent Islands. And um, then also, so... Um, one of the reasons the publications looked professional was my mom uh, worked in advertising. Mm. And this was back when advertising was still mostly print. But she actually did the layout for all these products in her after-hours time. But, you know, it started with her uh, wanting to help her son and his friends with one project. And then it became more, and so I became started to be a little bit of a burden on her. I remember by the third project, her saying, well, if it wasn't one I'd written myself, that she probably didn't want to try and commit to that again. Uh, well, it is it is very impressive. And, and you know, it, it strikes me that it, it would make make an excellent tournament adventure, in my opinion. It, it has, it doesn't strike me that it's written with an obvious tournament feel. Like, there's some adventures, you, you, it's clear they came out of being a tournament. This clearly is not that, I mean, because you talk about building it into a campaign. But, you know, the nice thing about this is this would be an excellent tournament adventure because, you know, there's clearly, you know, an objective. And I, I don't want to give away too much in case James and I want to talk about possibility of using this at some point because uh, we run a summer tournament each year. And I think this would be an excellent uh, summer tournament adventure. Um, so um, uh, it, 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 it's a very impressive uh, adventure, um, it, a, a lot of thought into it. I, of course, have to ask you, What's the deal with Moose? That's all day. Not in the Holy Grail. You know, Moose bites could be pretty bad. Oh, is that in the? Is that a line from uh, the yeah. Holy Grail? Yeah. In the beginning, they go through 
booth, and they switch over to a llama, and it's based on that. Oh, I had not. We I'm just. Okay, last episode um, we had our Easter special and we just reenacted the uh, the scene with the rabbit. We had King Arthur's troops. I played the rabbit. I beheaded. Uh, who did I behead? Galahad. Galahad, gone, beheaded. So that was uh, that was fun. Um, but um, okay, so that's what it is. Yes, because I know there's 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 also there's a phantom. There, there seems to be a moose recurring, right? Yeah, Right. And the whole point was for it to be a non sequitur. It was supposed to be just like random and humorous because it made no sense. No, and that was pretty clear. I mean, and that's that's what I like about it is and what, what I like about the work you guys were doing is that um, it, it really hit me in the right place because it is a combination of, of sort of whimsy and darkness. <laughs> so, I mean, let's, it's a pretty dark adventure. I mean, let's face it, right? There, 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 there's more, other than the moose, uh, there, there's more darkness in here than whimsy, but this has got tons of whimsy, uh, to be sure. So, all right, so tell me, so, so, so what happened? Right? I know you guys, you do a role master, if I recall, you do a role master publication, don't you? Yep, because uh, we were kind of uh, getting into role master as gamers by that point. Um, we felt uh, at the time that they were a step up from Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, so um, we got into playing the role master, and so we decided to make our third publication. We actually got to know some of the guys at Ice Crown Enterprises, and uh, Doug in particular got to be good friends with one of the people up there at their company. And so, yeah, our third uh, module was written for their system. And I, right, and I think it was actually it was under their name too, wasn't it? If I recall correctly, or it was officially licensed with them. Okay, okay. Um, I assume now. Now, did TSR ever mess with you about the tone? I mean, I know it's for all fantasy role playing, and a lot of people were doing that. Um, I think they were kind of famous back in the day for sending uh, nasty letters. Um, I'm assuming it sounds like you never got a letter. I don't think. I, I think they give it up. I think they gave up on sending the letters by that point because there were so many people doing it. I mean, <laughs> right. you know. Well, and, you know, the reality is it's kind of like fan fiction. You know, the reality is for a lot of this stuff is it actually promotes sales for them, I'm sure, right? I mean, if, if you've got this, you're playing D&D probably, right? I mean, you're buying the player's handbook. You're buying the monster manual. Um, this only, I think, gets them the people interested in the game. It's not, it's not, a, it's so, not um, a rules book per se. To me, that's the no, it's it's not. A supplement that augments a, a fantasy system. So, uh, it, it, so, but you know, people are very parochial about their precious, you know, and, and I was one of the, if it didn't say TSR, it only took me 35 years to really appreciate more things. But back in the day, we had very limited access. You know, we had the local game store and they, pretty much had just TSR products. So um, it's it's interesting looking back now how many people like you said, you know what, we, we can write this, why not? You know, that whole, I think we talked to other our guests, it was that late 70s, just before, like, you know, Dan and I came in probably early 80s, and there was that magic time where people said, hey, we could do that, let's just, you know, get my mom to work on this and we'll put things together and... And, and people will buy it. Whereas, uh, you know, I had a, I don't know if it was a bias, but if it didn't come from an official thing and it, it really affected my gameplay up for a long time, that if it wasn't part of the, 
the, you know, we call the three books the Holy Trinity. But, you know, if it wasn't canon, it, it wasn't yeah. legitimate. And I think a lot of people uh, grew up, did you, you know, and, and I know Dan's going to talk about it later, did you get a lot of, um, was, that a, was that a feeling that happened later with some of your younger players, maybe in their mid-teens versus you all who were in your later teens and 20s? Did you see some of that? I don't think we were ever stuck as players on it had to be from TSR. We were more like, okay, we were fanatics and we burned through all the TSR stuff and we were just looking for more. You know, it was always just about, you know, what else can we come up with? Um, they had changed, they had, TSR, they had money. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm figuring TSR, look, you know, it's not like anybody bought the Tome of Mighty Magic instead of the spell book, right? right? <laughs> Player's <laughs> handbook or... What should I do? I'm, I'm debating. You, you ask the clerk, which, which one of these? Exactly. Well, we had a so, I'm, I'm pretty sure we didn't cost them any sales. <laughs> right, that's if, if right. You look at the spell contributors, Michael Woodard ran a chivalry and sorcery campaign. When I was at college, I ran a traveler campaign. I remember your traveler campaign. Yeah. We love, I love traveler. And I think... Yeah. And we had people that read, ran Metamorphosis Alpha... Or Gamma World. So we were a diverse group. Did, did you guys get letters? Just for, yes. not from TSR. So move it. Fans. Oh, not, 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 not threatening letters. Did you, get, did you get letters from fans? We had spell suggestions and letters from fans. I was the one who checked the post office box. <laughs> so. Did you ever... Did you ever get any good spell suggestions? I you didn't do a second. I assume did any of them make them into an, an additional, a second printing, or third printing? I think the only uh, so the additional spells we got came out in one of the dungeons. You know, like uh, with mine, it said new spells. So we just sort of threw it out there. Hey, da hey, Dan, okay. is there yeah. is there a catalog of their publishing in the back that you could fill out and send to them? So you could get a copy? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so you need to fill that out. and uh, I'm going to fill it out. So okay, <laughs> so what am I doing here? Yes, yeah, so hang on. Yes. We no longer yeah. have that post office box. No, well, no longer. Well, I don't well, care. I don't care. I'm sending it. It's the last time you checked it. Yeah, it might be somebody else, somebody else now. Yes, yes, we, we, we love new ideas. Please feel free to write up your prize spells using the above format. If we like your spell or idea and decide to use it in a future publication, we will send you a copy of the publication for free. Any ideas for monsters, magic items, etc., should be written in the space provided for spell description. We're sorry, but ideas submitted cannot be uh, returned. And, and yeah, and so uh, you got to relinquish ownership submitted to them. So they learn from the big boys. Right. Uh, they learn from TSR. You, you got to waive everything. And um, yeah. So the, yes, they did. They did have that. So yeah, how much? So how Indeed. much is a tome of mighty magic there? Uh, if you sent in through the catalog, can we? I don't want to pay seventy five dollars if I can pay, you know, the the price in nineteen eighty. We we did this. So James and I, we I sent in a. I, uh, so I had a friend who was looking for an adventure, and uh, an old old adventure from like the late seventies. And we found the guy. He was living in Florida, and so I filled out. The, uh, the order form it was one dollar, I think, right, or something like that, right? I, I feel that three fifty, three fifty. I wrote a check for three fifty and sent it to him, and he actually called me um, and said he would send it to me free, and I never got it. Now he's only got a landline, which 
that's that's the downside of some of these grognards. That's a cell phone. <laughs> You're lucky if they have a flip phone. Um, so it sounded like you you guys obviously, as I mentioned, you looked like you were in it for the long haul because in the forward, Jim. So uh, you are writing on May twelfth, nineteen eighty three. You write the management and labor of North Pole Publications, one and the same. I've been very busy since the release of the Tome of Mighty Magic in April of 1982. The overwhelming success of our first publication encouraged us to set our goals even higher for an encore. And here it is, The Serpent Islands. From cover to cover, it features a magic of artwork and ideas that we believe any enthusiastic fantasy role player will appreciate. And look, there's no doubt, I've said it before, there's no doubt, you could put TSR on this and this would be, and this would be, this would pass without question, TSR quality. Uh, the Serpent Islands is the second in a long line of releases planned for North Pole publications. And the first of a, in a, yeah, this is where we're getting to, I guess it's going to be a sad tale probably, in a series of pre-written adventures for FRP games. Uh, so, uh, so the question is, so, so it's, yeah, so, so what happened? Because after the Rollmaster one, we don't see anything more from North Pole publications. So, so, so what, what happened? Uh, Doug made a business decision to um, have a bunch of the, the Rollmaster one printed because we had the license and he had um, big hopes for it. And we had uh, we printed them on credit with the printer with the idea then we were going to ship all these thousands of copies out. I think we did like 10,000. And, uh, you know, and then all the money would roll in and money never rolled in you know it was um a lot of the the people just didn't pay or couldn't pay or rollmaster wasn't as big a market even though either of the products could have been used with any of the gaming systems you know by uh, an intelligent dungeon master still it didn't say it, it was a smaller market we were aiming at by having it tagged in with rollmaster did, did, did you give any thought to going back, though, then to, to first edition AD&D, which, of course, you know, at that point in time, right, 83, 84, first edition is, is exploding, I think, at that point in time. I think, you know, it was um, the energy of the company, the real core energy of the company was that campaign that we were all part of. And by 84, that campaign had, had fizzled out. And we were starting to grow in different directions. And so that kind of the combination of the, the, the setback with the business and us all sort of starting to grow in different directions kept us from rebounding. Dave, you might have different reflections. Yeah, I had gotten married and with work and everything, I didn't have as much time as I used to. So I wasn't able to game as much. Just recently, I've been getting past couple of years. I've gotten back into gaming. Okay, yeah. So, so, so let's talk about that. So, unfortunately, so, so, the company comes to an end. You go different places. Well, is is and, it to the uh, end? Do you still have ownership to it? It's not like is there another North Pole game? Oh, you no. Know, you, oh. you make it sound like we're talking oh. them posthumously. They're not. Uh, they're not uh, gone yet. So you know, this is. They they didn't say when. You know, it's could. They said a lot of material. There could be plenty of material coming now. You got to put a teaser out there. We may need a publisher because, right, for our right. uh, tome oh, yeah. of 
parenthetical evil monsters that we've been talking about and our right. rules of asterisks and footnotes. Those are a couple of publishings that we need some help with. So maybe North Pole Park. Uh, maybe North Pole Public Publications. Right. Where, where did the, so where, where where did the name come from? So I forgot to ask that most basic question. Who came up with the name? Oh, I mean, you're in to... Alabama. You don't sound it doesn't sound like the North Pole. I think that was Doug. He had to have something to put on the form, and in his mind, that was just one that would be memorable. He read somewhere, you know, the company name had to be something people would remember. And so we just pulled that out of nowhere. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Three letter um, names are, they don't go anywhere. The, like TSR. Yeah. No, this is, no, this is, this is NPP. That's NPP. Uh, NP squared. NPP. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe that doesn't work so well. So, so we're going to go with Nordic Pole Publications. So, all right. So um, uh, you said you entered the park ranger service, correct? I work for the Forest Service. The for I'm sorry, the Forest Service. So, so, so that's right. He's a ranger. You're a ranger. Oh, we should ask them. Yeah. Okay, uh, Jim, would you if, if you came across a wyvern right. who's who, who's injured? Now, you need, who's injured? Now, a wyvern. Do you remember what a wyvern is? I do. Okay. And, and uh, I saw a non-winged version just this last week on on one of my patrols. Oh wow! Wait, what? You came across a non winged version of a wyvern on I'm, so uh, I'm well, confused he had, he, had the, he had the tail of a wyvern <laughs> oh like a wait a what scorpion? was it yes See, there you go <laughs> not an actual wyvern i was getting more yeah, nervous -winged version, a so scorpion. now now we're gonna allow you to do some metagaming a wyvern do you remember the alignment of the wyvern i would guess Chaotic evil, but I don't remember. I'm just guessing based on what I remember about them. David, any thoughts? Maybe neutral evil. They sure aren't lawful. It's it's neutral with evil in parentheses, which which must be leanings toward evil. So he, here here's the question for you. So so Jim, since you are a ranger, would you protect the injured wyvern from the party members who want to slay it? This was a question yeah, in Dragon sure. Magazine. You would? Yeah, and even toward the end of my uh, my gaming days, you know, I got more. I, I remember um, one gaming group that I was part of, post-North Pole Publications, that kind of broke up because we came up on a camp of orcs, and everybody in the party was already planning how they were going to massacre them all. And I was just like, wait a minute, we haven't, you know, there's like women and kid orcs down there, and we haven't even talked to them yet. <laughs> The baby orcs were We need to, to start fireballing them. And no, they were all, they were like typical gamers, like, oh, come on, that's what orcs are for. That's what you do with orcs. And two two and days I was later. Already, I was to, it was becoming more complicated for me. <laughs> yeah, two, two days later, Jim stops playing role playing games. Uh, until the, until He's now, sitting in the in the village, and they're all destroyed. He's like, "Why am I here? What purpose?" He had existential crisis right there. The, this is wrong. Right. I'm joining the Forest Service. Well, we've well, so always <laughs> said that is the party. Are they really the good party? Are they truly? You know, if you look through, you, you go, this village is sitting there. They're minding their own business, and these marauders come in. They kill everyone. They take their stuff. 
They're the good guys. That's right. Every, That's why yeah, they came up with the phrase murder That's right, hobo. exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, like Monty Python, uh, Lancelot, and the Holy Grail, where he, like, runs into the wedding and kills everybody, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but the, and, and, Jim, you told me uh, before that um, you felt like entering and becoming a forest ranger um, allowed you to basically experience some of these sort of things in, in, in real life. So, so in other words, you, you, were, you went from theater of the mind to getting out there and, and, and kind of having adventures in the real world, correct? Yeah, I, I actually continued gaming oh, well into my 20s, probably late 20s. And then at some point, I remember this little epiphany where I'm like, uh, well, whatever level I get to in the game, and that, that game that uh, North, that uh, Tome of Mighty Magic came out of, we were ridiculously high level. There was a reason we were playing with such high level spells. We just kept playing the same characters forever. But at some point, it dawned on me that whatever level you get to in the game, doing something in real life would be like a level higher than that. And that I'd grown up pretty sheltered in Alabama and thinking that all you could do was watch people have adventures on TV or in movies or read about them in books. And it took me a while to figure out, well, I could go have adventures and uh, I could do it in real life. And so, yeah, that's sort of what my life became after that. Okay. And as you said, and then, and so you stopped late 20s, you stopped role playing. And it sounds like you haven't played since. Or you could say I've played every day since, but now I'm doing it in real life. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, my, my job is running around in the mountains and and visiting with all the critters. And, mm. yeah, so I, I've, I've had lots of adventures since That's then. Awesome. But rock climbing, trail running. What's your, what's your alignment? I would probably be neutral good now. Okay, James, aren't you neutral good? Uh, yeah, I said that, yeah. Neutral, lawful, <laughs> neutral good bent towards lawful because, you know, I work in the government, so you got, you got, <laughs> you, you got to have some thing for that. You got to at least think you're, what you're doing is, is lawful and good, so. James is law, lawful by day. That's right. Chaotic by so, night. Probably. <laughs> so, I'm all right. And uh, David, you, you said, so you got, you got married. And, and all the other players went boo, and um, and, 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 and hey, man, man, you're either uh, you're either married or you're a gamer. Which is it, David? You got to choose your wife or gaming. And it well, sounds when, like David, you picked your when wife. When the kids came along, I just had no time whatsoever. Yes, indeed. So, so, so when, when did you stop playing? Um, when North Pole stopped, and, and, and was there a decision basically we're stopping this thing, or did it just sort of fizzle out? I mean, did, is it sort of like are some people still wondering why no one's calling about North Pole to like the next adventure, or was there a point in time where you actually got together and said, "This is it"? I think it fizzled, is how I remember yeah. it. Okay. Since I wasn't as active in it, to me, it was just fizzled. Okay. And so, um, and so, David, you said, I think, you started playing again a couple of years ago? Yeah. Okay, and what got you? And so this is not uncommon. It was um, a couple of years ago, several years ago for James and I as well. Uh, you may be familiar with, you know, the old school renaissance, old school revival, this idea of people like us now are deciding, you know, maybe we had kids and they're grown. For whatever reason, we're deciding to get back into gaming. 
it was was that your reason too? Part of this kind of like old school revival movement. Well, one of my friends who I was involved with due to politics decided he wanted to run a campaign. It was three point five. He ran that for a little while, then he had to leave town. Then, at, like a year or so after that, I found out that someone wanted to run some over at the comic store, and he ran two. Then he went away. I am an IT person. I was contracting, so I went to uh, the Raleigh area and got into a 5E campaign, came back, found a 5E campaign. A couple years later, a contract in Wilson, North Carolina, 5E, and now I'm back in uh, the Lexington area for 5E. Is um, you got to look for one eight, don't you? I don't know. I kind of like five E. I'm sorry, yeah. we're having technical difficulty, uh, you, aren't yeah, we, James? You're gonna, have, uh, yeah. He's he's breaking up. Uh, he's breaking know, up. We're gonna, gonna have to. We're gonna have to just let him go, That's aren't right. we? we? We're still trapped in the. Uh, our our show ends in April of 1985. That's what our <laughs> before the book that shall not be named is our. Uh, Oh, yeah. Do you guys have any uh, thoughts on, uh, yeah, so uh, the book that shall not be, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? The book that shall not be named, yes. I remember that cover, but I don't remember what it was about. Yeah, no worries. You don't need to worry about it. Don't worry about it. Now, one thing Uh, I really hate is back in 2007, I had a house fire. A kid had broken into the house and set the house on fire. Oh, my God. I had a first edition Monster Man with the TSR Wizard on it. Oh, is that, uh, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, that's all right. So, so you don't have a stash. No, most, all my old books were destroyed. Uh, so I've only been able to get uh, new books. Um, Jim, do you have a stash somewhere? Yeah. Can we, I have a pack rat. I don't have most of the, my old gaming stuff that got left in an attic of an old house. I do have a copy of deities and demigods. And because I went back and found it on uh, eBay or Amazon because I was getting tattoos done. And I actually have this whole side of my body is all nature spirit tattoos. And uh, so uh, one of the the images I wanted, I remembered from when I was a gamer, the uh, Kernunos, the, um, um, the Celtic god of the forest. And that image of him... The Wild Hunt is the illustration. Oh, I love the. the I had I. So we had on this show. Uh, we had um, Jim Ward. Uh, the, we had Jim Ward. Yep. That, a, yep. that particular image stuck in my mind, and I went and found. I, I bought the book just so I could take that and show it to my tattoo artist. And we didn't use exactly that image, but I wanted him to see that to know what I was thinking of. Well, well, we got to see. Is it? Can we see it? Where is it? You got it? We got to see it, right? I mean, we have, you can't say you've got the wild hunt and we've got to. Oh, there you go. Well, I'll give you the tour here. Yeah, Let's all right. So this is uh, the, the classic green man, but in this case, it's uh, me. They're all me. And um, this is me and Bald Cypress from the Mobile Tinsaw Delta as a green man. Very impressive. Here is. Um, our version of Treebeard. Okay, yeah. Oh, this, yeah. Uh, That's great. Uh, there, uh, so this was Green Heart. 
this is green wisdom. And we talked about wanting him to have uh, wise old eyes. I thought the artist did a great job with that. Different, different artists. No, same artist for all uh, of it. Brian the Child. Brian Childs. Okay. At Spot Cookie Tattoos in Olympia, Washington. Okay. All right. A shout out. Awesome work. Well, you can see because uh, it's on my back. So you should see um, her and the hunter are Carinos there on my back now, but I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to aim the camera. That's good. Yeah, we see, that we is see good. Him. Yeah, we see him. That's really cool. Is that yeah, so they, wait? That's... He has a cloak of leaves in the descriptions, and it was the artist's idea to have the leaves just swirling about him as opposed to making it a garment. So is he the so wait, so is he the master of the hunt, or is that somebody different? He is. Uh, um, the stories, you know, like stories did back then because they were all um, oral tradition. Um, the stories vary and they overlap so there are two figures around that um horned god in in uh, the british isles there's Hearn the hunter which was later and then Cernunos was actually what the romans called the image they saw in a lot of the celtic artwork with the stags antlers and uh so he was associated with death um associated with winter um you know so in some in some cases, he was just the male half of the divine duo, and the the female spirit was more about spring and fertility, and then the male side was the winter and death. And yeah, and and we had Dan Collerton who wrote Aurelian Aurelian uh, City uh, for White Dwarf Magazine and had an adventure called Rise in the Dark. Yeah, it starts with. The, uh, the wild hunt. So I'm familiar with it. And yeah, you do not want to become part of, well, you don't want to be hunted. That's for sure. And uh, you probably don't want to join in either. It, it sounds dangerous, but uh, no, that, 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 that's awesome. very cool ink. Thank you for showing us. Yeah, thank you. And I know Dave, I, there was a cat there, but the cat has no, disappeared. I was going to ask you The cat's there. There it What's is. The cat's name? Rory. Murray? Oh, Rory. Rory, thank you. Rory, Rory. yeah, thank you. Now, it, it, now it's going to need a D&D &D name. That's right. I'm disappointed. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, James, we have any uh, questions? Just, they just asked what the cat's name was, so you answered it. So. <laughs> all right. So, uh, well, gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Like I said, it's really, uh, this has been, you know, it's, what's been great about going back after so many years is you get appreciation for, how, at least for me, how cloistered our understanding of life was, because it was restricted to the bookstore, really, you know, the bookstore, whatever they had, that's, that was our world. And even though I lived in New York City when I was growing up, you know, I lived in a, a, a borough, Queens, and going to Manhattan was kind of a trek. So you just, you just went to the local game store and whatever they had there, that's what you had. So to, to really see that there was such a, a, a diversity and, and that's, kind of going back through the Dragon magazines and talking to folks like you. We really appreciate it. And um, are you guys on social media now that if people want to reach out to you and ask you questions about, you know, any rulings on your on your spells that they can uh, come find you? Start with Jim and then David. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, Jim Dees on uh, social media. Okay. And, uh, I, you know, I'll have to try and remember the spells. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best. Yeah, just person. make it. Dave's back into gaming now. He might be a better yeah, reference. You can just make it up. They don't care. 
So, okay, David, I'll make a couple. nice. Yeah, just I, I'm listening on Facebook as David Spate. I have a couple accounts. The one has the picture of Tumor's Corner. The other one has the picture of me when I'm volunteering at the Transportation Museum. I volunteer at two railroad museums. Oh wow! Very cool. Awesome. Okay. I've got a lot of hobbies. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, that's what we that's that's what age does afford. If you uh, you know if you're doing okay, you can you can well, have some hobbies. Go ahead, Dan. We well, I was going to say we had a guest. Was it was it Alan Hammock who wrote Ghost Tower of Inverness and one of the slaver modules? I think he was into railroad games, wasn't I feel he? Like he did I say he that. Took, yeah, and he's in yeah. Birmingham, right? Or where is he? I think he's in Burmese, but he's somewhere in Alabama, yeah, yeah. too. He's in Alabama, so he's Alabama, back, back yeah. in the day. So we have a tradition that our guests, if you have a D10, we roll our D10 to uh, kind of see how the how the, uh, how the oh. lesson thing and, went. And, and while they're getting a die out, can I ask one question before they sure. roll it? So one of the things that I noticed about, because I used the Tome of Mighty Magic, um, is you didn't divide the spells based upon character classes. So you didn't divide it based upon magic user and cleric. I just wanted to know, for someone who wants to use these spells, how are you guys doing them? Uh, should should we just sort of kind of figure out where we think it would be appropriate for which particular class? Oh, yeah, I think so. That character, you know, they've got all the subclasses nowadays. We didn't have that back then. So to tailor your character to the way you want it to be, you pick the spells that lead you in that direction. Okay. Yeah, Jim, same thing, just sort of, you know, yeah, we figured it would vary by campaign and by what game system you were using, and you could just plug them in where, wherever made sense to the dungeon master. And, and it sounds like same thing with the spell levels, right? Because obviously, you know, you, you're going beyond levels, right? Because I think, well, I can't remember how many levels it was in the Tome of Mighty Magic, but I think it exceeds the levels, right? Uh, James, magic users, no, how no. high? Nine. So you go beyond it. So same thing there, so don't necessarily... If you're going to use the Tome of Mighty Magic, it sounds like don't, for first edition, AD&D, it sounds like don't assume necessarily that those spell levels should be translating identically. You should sort of adjust it as you see fit. I think we had the idea that uh, like a ninth level spell in our book was like a ninth level spell in the, the original books. The idea was just um, we had played characters in this one campaign that were up geez, I don't remember, Dave, 60, 70 levels. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, ridiculous. And so we were all, the idea was that this book got into spells that maybe only demigods would cast, or even we talked about some spells at some point only pantheon leaders would be able to cast. You know, like the, the 20th level spells or something, not even Apollo wouldn't be able to cast it, only Zeus would, that kind of thing. Okay. Well, that, well, that, that answers the well, question. Their spell book goes to 11. That's why. They don't go to 9. <laughs> the other gaming systems, they do 9. This one goes to 11. That's exactly right. That's perfect. All right. So roll a d10, David, If since you got the dice. You want to roll high? Oh, three. three. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you know, you, you know why it was a three? Use the, use the phone. You know why? Use the phone. Why? Exactly. You use the phone. Yeah. We, we don't... My dice are upstairs. Oh, we, you know, we got to tell people, not that they need Skype, oh. but they need to bring their dice so, with them. So, David was always. Well, it was a three. I'm... One thing I remember so, was I'm... David, 
I'll always remember how excited you were when you got your Commodore 64. Oh, yeah. Because it had 64 <laughs> kilobytes of memory. Yeah. And now you could play uh, Pong and do your taxes on the same computer. <laughs> that was that was the game system of choice. We love that. I love that thing, 64. That I, I had that for years. Um, and yeah, and you guys... Go ahead, Dan. Wait, what was Activision? Was that something? That's a that's a company. Game machine. <laughs> I'm obviously not techie. They had Pitfall. They wrote Pitfall and yes. some of the other things. Yeah. So, yeah, and, sorry. and my understanding is you guys hadn't talked in a while. Is that correct? Since this. Uh, correct. Yeah. Not since Mobile. Yeah, I haven't talked to Dave in 20, 30, how long? Since probably 1984, 85. Oh, like that. that's awesome. Yeah, this is. Yeah. Go ahead, Dan. You know, the last time they talked was when Dave wanted to, uh, when David wanted to uh, slaughter that goblin village that's right. with the goblin babies. That, that's it. I'm done. That was it. He's had enough. I'm, I'm out. Not you chaotic. Okay, the, the chaotic one. And also, James, I would like to be able to pray to Yertris, the orc deity of disease yes. uh, to help us with this plague, right? right. So could I, could I do that? All right, yes, I'm can, rolling. You can roll your divine intervention. 68, did Yertris hear my prayers? No, we are, we are bound for the fifth layer of the abyss next week. Uh, when okay. we, we are currently in the abyss. We're going down you know, because we're all entrapped in our homes. Um, so we're on, we're on the fourth layer of the abyss, and next week we'll be on the fifth level. And who are we having next week on our show? Ah, we're having Bill Fawcett from Bill? Mayfair Games. That's right. Bill Fawcett from Mayfair Games will be on. So uh, we've got another great show. So the only advantage of, of this uh, p uh, pandemic is people who are like, ah, we'll go on your show. we got nothing better to do. We're all sitting at home now. So this has been great for us to talk yeah. to folks like uh, David and Jim. Thank you for your time today. And uh, we really appreciate you spending time. Our Folks uh, uh, online were, were really appreciative of hearing your story, and they're they're ready on eBay trying to figure out how to uh, uh, procure that. You know, at some point, if you were putting on drive through RPG, uh, that's uh, you know, if you could digitize that, I'm sure a lot of folks would like that. Uh, drive through RPG is a you know PDF or print on demand service that people do. So um, a lot of the people we've had on, they've done that because. There's, there's, you have an audience out there. People, you know, people are willing to spend, like Dan. There's a lot of Dans out there who are willing to spend a lot of money that's, for this stuff. So, that's true. Well, my friend Ed was like, oh, you know, he wanted to copy the Tome of Mighty Magic because I gave him these spells. Yeah. You know, and then they're just they're fun spells, yeah. and uh, he used the enlarged helmet he did. in the Aurelian Adventure. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, on an evil cleric, and they were fled or something from the evil cleric. So, uh, yeah, so, so, so there, 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 there is a demand. I can't tell you how much of a demand. It might just be me and Ed, right. uh, but there, <laughs> <laughs> there is, there is a demand. So, thank you again, That's folks. Your well, thanks again, yes. Jim. Thanks, David. Thanks, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. And, Thank you. Thank you. And so for Grog Talk, I'm James. And I'm Dan. And we will see you next week on Grog Talk. Take care. This is big, a pushy, puppy production. All rights reserved.